A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles, first Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This uh, passage from Matthew highlights the compassion that Jesus feels for people like us, for, for the people of this world. And to explore that subject, I want to touch on three points. Uh, first, I want to talk about the compassion of Christ. Uh, then I, I want to explore the way that those of us who follow Christ should respond to his compassion. And then I want to talk about where we might get the power and the encouragement to respond this way. So the, the, Christ's compassion, our response, and then the power to, to live this out. Um, so we'll start with the compassion of Christ. The, the events that uh, are recorded in this passage are events that took place in the middle of the ministry that Jesus performed in the region of Galilee, which is the northern part of, of Israel. And in verse 35 of uh, Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus was traveling through all the towns and all the villages, and as he did this, he was teaching people about God, he was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing people of various illnesses and, and disabilities that they had, had. And then verse 36 uh, begins with these words. It says, when he saw the crowds, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so I wonder, I wonder how that sentence uh, that, that begins with these words, when he saw the crowds, I wonder how that sentence would, would end if it were talking about me or talking about you. I mean, maybe it would say, when he saw the crowds, he felt annoyed and angry because he knew it would take forever to get into Costco today. Or when, when she saw the crowds, she felt furious and judgmental because of, look how those people on TV are looting those buildings. Or, or when he saw the crowds, he felt afraid because he, you know, he didn't want to be exposed to the coronavirus. Maybe that's the way verse 36 would end if it, uh, if it were written about me or about you. But written about Jesus, it's, it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Je Jesus felt compassion for the people that he saw in the world around him. Now, 
the word in Greek that's translated had compassion. It's just one word in Greek. It, it, it is a word that describes um, a deep, kind of instinctive gut reaction of empathy and concern for someone else. So one translation has rendered this verse, having seen, seen the crowds, he felt deep feelings of compassion concerning them. Another, another translation says, when he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them. That one other translation, and I love this. It says, when Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. In, in other words, when Jesus, when Jesus saw people, all right, rather than being annoyed, rather than being judgmental, he instantly, almost instinctively felt deep concern and love for them. Now, why, why did he feel this? Well, first we read because, um, because he saw their need. It, it says, when, when, he saw, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, verse 36, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, um, without a shepherd, a sheep is hungry, you know, because it can't find any food. Uh, a, a sheep is in danger because a wolf might come and, and attack it. A, a sheep is prone to go astray and get lost because there's no one there to guide it. And so when Jesus looked at people, this is what he thought. He thought they're, they're hungry. They're empty inside. They're, they're in danger. There's an evil one who wants to destroy them. They are lost. They, 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 they've gone astray. They don't, they don't know the way to the kingdom of God. He, he looked at them. He thought they are like sheep without a shepherd. That was So this was Jesus' gut reaction to people. His, the, like the first thought that came to mind for him when he looked at them is that they're lost, they're empty, they're hurting inside. And um, I, I think that's a, that should be such an encouraging thought for us. It might, be, it might be today that you are, if you're honest with yourself, you're, you're not very close to God right now. Maybe, maybe you even feel like you're far from God. You haven't been seeking him. You haven't been obeying his will. Now listen, if that's the case, I want you to know that when Jesus looks at you, the first thought that comes to mind is not, oh, she's a sinner, oh, he's a fool. No, no, listen. His first thought towards you is one of compassion, concern. He, listen, he notices where you're broken. He's, he sees and knows the ways that you have been hurt. His, his focus is, it's not on your guilt, it's on your emptiness, your confusion. He sees your need before he sees your sin. Now, someone might say, Pastor, you're getting soft on sin. No, listen, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just trying to describe the heart of Jesus as it's described for us in this passage. When, when he saw people, he didn't first notice all their failure. He felt compassion because he saw their need. All right, so that's, that's one reason he felt compassion. A second one is because, because he saw their potential. He he. When he saw people, he saw, he saw what could happen for them if God were to work in their life. He didn't only see the people as helpless sheep. We read here, he also saw, he saw them as a potential harvest. Verse, verse 37 says, he, he said to the, his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. He looked at people and he said, there's a harvest. Now, what does that mean? Well, in, in agricultural society, listen, a harvest is something really, really good. A harvest is something that has great value. A, har a harvest is something that can pot potentially feed and nourish other people. And that's the way Jesus saw these people. He looked at them and he said, you know what? This is a potential harvest. You, if, God, if God gets a hold of their life, 
watch out. God might do something really good. You know, I, I, was, reading, um, I was reading about a teenager who got kicked out of his church youth group because they thought he would be a bad influence on the other, on the other teens. You know, who, you know who that was? Billy Graham. And, and I was reading about another young man whose, whose Christian mother um, would cry herself to sleep every single night praying for him because he had denied the faith he'd been raised in and he was living in sexual sin. You know who that was? St. Augustine. And I, I was reading about this young woman who was, <laughs> she was poor and unskilled. She was a, a domestic worker, just a housemate. She had really nothing of value to offer the world. You know who that was? Gladys Aylward, who was this great missionary to China. And I was reading about this other uh, immigrant kid in the inner city who was the leader. He was a leader of a violent street gang. You know who that was? Nicky Cruz, a great evangelist and preacher. And I was reading about this other guy. You know the type snooty, elitist, atheist professor at one of these exclusive universities. Do you know who that was? C.S. Lewis, the great apologist for the Christian faith. So all, listen, all of these people, and I bet you could add to the list, all of, all of these were people whom I think many churches might, might have just, churches might have just written off, dismissed them, useless in God's kingdom. But you know what? When Jesus sees people like that, he sees a harvest. All right, He's, He sees what they could be. He sees what they will be if the grace of God works in their life. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus sees you the same way. He sees you the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that in the church, it says we should regard no one from a worldly point of view. It says if anyone, and that means anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So when Jesus looked at these crowds of people, he saw their need, they're just their brokenness, their, 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 their emptiness, and he saw their potential, what God could do in them. And he instantly, instinctively felt compassion for them. Now, my second point um, for, for Christians, for those of us who, who, who are, are following Christ. Listen, guys, we are following a leader, a master, who viewed people in the world this way, with that kind of compassion. So the question is, what should our response to his compassion be? In other words, how, how, listen, how should we live if, if we know that our master looked at people in this world that way? Well, he tells us a couple of things. The first is this. <clears throat> we should pray. We should pray. Verse, verse 37 and 38 of chapter 9, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, or that word could be translated pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He, he's saying, guys, listen, you need to be praying, um, praying um, for God to place people, to send people into the lives of others who can tell them about the kingdom of God. You know, I was, I was reading today that um, the United States, the United States is still considered one of the top 10 Christian countries in the world, just in the number of people who profess to have faith in Christ. And yet, our society is changing, and they tell us that in North America today, one out of every five people report that they don't personally know anyone in their life who's a Christian. They couldn't, if you ask them, do you know any Christians? They couldn't name one. 
That one out of five people, and the percentage is, I'm sure, much, much higher in certain population groups, among Muslim immigrants, among Hindus, in the LGBT community, among Generation Z. They're, they're, listen, they're, we are surrounded by people who don't know anyone in the world who could tell them about the love of God. And here's the thing, all of these people, all of them are precious in the Father's eyes, but they just... There's no one in their life who can tell them about God's love. No one. Now, th this, this is really important. Romans chapter 10 says, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is such great news. Anyone and everyone who turns to Jesus and cries out to him will be rescued and saved by God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it's, it says, but how can they call on someone they don't believe in? And how can they believe in someone of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone proclaiming to them, without someone telling them? So, so Jesus says to his disciples, he says, guys, um, there are so many people who are in need of God's love. So start praying. Pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. You know, it, it may be that... Um, Maybe there's somebody that you know and, and you really love, and uh, we're not trying to judge anyone here, but just as far as you can tell, um, maybe Christ has not yet come alive for this person, or, or they, they're very distant from the Lord. One of the ways you can pray for them, and I do this often, you could just pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. You could pray for God to, to put Christians in their life. Just say, God, will you, will you surround her with Christians? Will you, well, everywhere he goes, may he meet Christians. And, and I usually pray, and God, please send the nice kind of Christians, not, you know, not the grumpy ones. Surround them with people who will represent Jesus well to them. And Jesus says here that God, God can and God does answer those kinds of prayers. He says, that, he says that God is the Lord of the harvest. He says the world is God's harvest field. It is, it is God's domain. In other words, God is in control of this world. He can maneuver people. He can change situations. He can, he, <laughs> he can send workers into his harvest field. So we ought to be praying this way. So how, how should we respond to this fact that... Um, we follow a Savior who has such deep compassion for the people of the world, where one, one response is we should, be, we should pray. The second response that, that's indicated here is that we should be willing to go and to serve. We, we should be willing to do this. So uh, right after we hear these words of Jesus where he's, he's, he's telling his, us to, to pray that God will send workers into the harvest field, right after the way that Matthew structures his gospel, Right after that, Matthew tells a story about the time when Jesus sent his 12 apostles on kind of a, a short-term mission trip, all right? And I think Matthew does this to imply that Jesus was telling his disciples, telling us, if you pray for God to send people to do his work in this world, you shouldn't be surprised if God now asks you if you would be willing to be part of, of the answer to your own prayer. If, if you're asking God, send people to help those who are hurting, send pe people to, you know, to tell those about God's love, you, know, you should be willing. God might say, can I send you? And, and that's what Jesus does with his, his disciples. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 10 says, um, it says, He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority 
to drive out impure spirits, to heal every kind of disease and sickness. And then verse seven, seven and eight, it says, he said, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, all right? So after telling them to pray for God to send people, right, to, to help uh, those who are lost and hurting, he says, now I want you to go. Now, one, one thing uh, we want to keep in mind as we study this passage is that what we're reading here in Matthew 10, these, are, these were specific instructions given on a very specific occasion to really a special group of people. This was for the apostles. And, and, and the New Testament tells, tells us that the, the 12 apostles were a group of people who were chosen by Christ to play a unique role in the establishment of the church. Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They, they, they had kind of a foundational work to do in the establishing of the church. So, so the apostles, the ones we're reading about here, they were uniquely chosen, they were uniquely empowered, and they were uniquely commissioned by the Lord. Now, the reason I say this is because I don't want you to feel guilty if you discover that you're not very good at raising people from the dead, all right? Don't beat yourself up over that. It doesn't, you're not a bad Christian. <laughs> you're just not an apostle, all right? So we want to be, be careful as we read this passage, not just to kind of generalize everything we read here and, and then try to apply it to ourselves today, okay? Now, that being said, I would still say that the basic principle that's emphasized in this passage, the basic principle of, of, of service, it still holds true for us today, for, the, for those of us who are not apostles. And, and, and the basic principle is this. Guys, God's way of taking the love of Christ and the, the reality of the kingdom to people who desperately need that is by sending us. By sending the church. That's God's way of reaching the world. Now, there are three things in this passage that I think are worth noting for us. And the first is this. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you in this way. You really don't have to be perfect. We read here the names of the apostles. All 12 of them are listed. And if you know some of their stories, you know that you know they had... They had their, their issues, right? I mean, Peter was kind of an unreliable, impulsive character who, you know, you couldn't count on Peter. He, in fact, he denied three times that he even knew the Lord. And, and then James and John, these two, two brothers, they were, they were kind of egotistical, self-serving. They're asking, can we sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus? There's one occasion where they just kind of lose control of their anger. Thomas, uh, we read about him. He was Thomas the doubter. Matthew was a tax collector, kind of a, a, a traitor to his own people. Then we read of Simon the Zealot. The, Ze the Zealots were a group of armed revolutionaries that were, that were using violence to try to overthrow the government. So he's, you know, he's basically a terrorist. So these, listen, you read the names of the 12 apostles. These were not perfect people, were they? In fact, very far from perfect. But they were called by the Lord to make a difference in the world. And, and Christian, I want you to know, so are you. You don't, you don't have to be perfect for God to use you or to send you. So that's the first thing to notice. The second is um, very often, in fact, I, I, I think usually when God calls you and wants to use you in this world, usually he wants you to start right where you are. Now, you may recall that at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, um, Jesus 
tells his apostles that he wants them to go to all the nations in the entire world. He says, make make disciples of all the nations of the world. But did you notice here, all right, he hasn't gotten to that point yet. Here in verse 5 and 6, he says to them, do not go among the Gentiles. Don't go to the nations. Don't enter any town of the Samaritans. He says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Like he's saying, before you go to the world, (laughs) start with your own people. Start right where you are. And very often, I think that's God's, the way God leads us. God might say, you know, all right, before you go serve the homeless by working in the soup kitchen, first serve your family by doing the dishes in your kitchen at home. Right? Or, or before you sign up to go on that mission trip to Belize, you know, how, why don't you first sign up to help in the church nursery once a month? Once a month. So very often, this, this is the way God works. He says, I want, before we go big time, he says, I want you to start right where you are. In, in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, whoever can be trusted with small things can also be trusted with big things. In, in Matthew 25, he said that the, those servants who are faithful with little things will be put in charge of much. So start where you are. So it, it just makes me wonder, who, who, are, the, who are the people around you um, in your life whom you could pray for, serve, love, perhaps tell about Christ? What, what, what are the needs that you're already aware of right now in your church or in your community where, where you know, they're saying, we need people to help with this? My hunch is that's probably where God wants you to start serving him. So um, you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You, you. you know, for God to use you, you probably want to start right where you are. And, and then one more thing that's really important to notice in this passage, and, that, and that's this. Um, God's love for people, the compassion that Christ has for the people of this world, God's love for people extends both to their bodies and to their souls. God God is concerned both about people's bodies and about people's souls. And the reason I think that's important is because for some strange reason, in American Christianity... um, there's this weird kind of bifurcation of, of, of ministry. In, in American Christianity, we're given this choice. Either you can go to like a social justice church where they serve the poor, they feed the hungry, they, 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 they speak up for the immigrant, they fight against injustice. You can go to that kind of church or you, you can be, uh, we can be kind of a, an evangelistic Bible teaching church where we, 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 we teach people about God and we tell people how to get saved. So this is kind of, this is the, the menu of options that we're given in American Christianity. You have to choose. You, you either, either you can, can be concerned about people's bodies, right? The, the poor, the suffering, or you can be concerned about people's souls, about their spiritual growth. And guys, the Bible says very clearly that that, listen, that is a false dichotomy. That's just a, that's a silly way to view ministry. It's not, it really is not either or. It's both and. I mean, listen, we, we see here that Jesus cared very deeply about people's souls. Verse, verse 35 uh, of chapter 9 says that Jesus went through the towns and villages. What does it say? Preaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He, pre- he preached the gospel. Now, wh- why did Jesus preach the gospel? Because if you've read the New Testament, you know this. Jesus viewed both 
heaven and hell as unavoidable realities. He had just had this sense that every every human in the world will spend all of eternity either in in the glory of God's presence in the in the age to come or in just kind of unspeakable sorrow and loneliness away from God. So he cared about souls. Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the entire world? I mean, you, you help them get a job, you get them off, off welfare, you get them a good education. What does it profit a person if they can gain the entire world? And yet they lose their soul. So he cared, listen, he cared about people's eternity. He cared about their souls. And also, he cared about their bodies. He cared about their physical and social needs. He, he, we read here that he healed every disease and sickness. And he told his, his apostles, I want you to care about healing people, caring for people. And so if you read the Gospels again and again, what do you read? You read of Jesus feeding the hungry and healing the sick and, and, and restoring the outcast to a, a, a place of dignity in society. And, and, and you read about him confronting the hypocrisy and the injustice of those who were in power. So this is what we need to keep in mind, guys, is that when God calls us to serve his kingdom, he is calling us to care both about people's bodies and about their souls, both. So um, with those three observations in mind, how <laughs> we follow we follow a Savior who has deep compassion for people. How should we respond to the compassion of Christ for this world? Well, he says, I want you to pray and I want you to go serve. I want you to pray and I want you to go serve. Now, how? <laughs> how, how can we be encouraged and empowered to do this? And that's a serious question. I, the reason I ask that question is because, listen, if you read on in chapter 10 of, of Matthew, uh, you, he gives more instruction to his disciples about this mission trip they're going on. If you, if you read on about what he says to them, you will realize that serving the kingdom, serving Christ this way, is not easy at all. In fact, sometimes it is excruciatingly hard. Jesus tells his disciples that if they go on this mission for him, he says they're going to be hated, they're going to be misunderstood, they're going to be persecuted, people are going to talk bad about them. He says even, he says even members of their own family will reject them. Their children will reject parents. The parents will reject children. So it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to follow this call of Christ, um, to take his love, take his truth to the world. So how, how can we get the strength to serve God this way? Well, in closing, I want you to notice, end of verse 5, what does Jesus talk about? He talks about God's grace. He, 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 is it verse 5? It's verse 8. <laughs> he talks about grace. He says, freely you have received. Freely give. Before he says, freely give, he says, freely you have received. In other words, he, he, he doesn't say, listen, if you give, you will receive. If you go out there and you serve others and you, and you help the poor and you preach God's word, then God will love you. God will bless you. You will receive from God. That's not what he says. He says to his disciples, but listen, before they took even one step on this mission, he, before they'd done anything for him, he says, guys, you've already received. It's already been given to you. You have received 
freely. And we and this is what we know to be true about the gospel, the good news of Christ. The good news of Christ says that if you've, oh man, if you have placed your trust in Christ, you could be so messed up inside. You could be so broken. You could have, you could have wandered from him for so long, but if you just turn and you place your trust in Christ before you do anything at all to serve God's kingdom, God just freely pours out on you everything. He gives you life. He gives you love. He gives you hope. He gives you peace. He gives you a place among the people of God. He gives you forgiveness of sin. He gives you a promise of eternity. He just freely gives all of this to you in Christ. You don't have to do anything special to earn God's favor. You don't don't have to accomplish any kind of great feat to, to grab his attention. God's, listen, all of God's love is just freely given to you when you come to Christ. Now, how does that empower us? I Listen, I'm not sure exactly how this works, but I know it works. Some, somehow, knowing about the way God's grace is given to you just makes serving God so much easier. It's kind of like, you know, if, when you, if you feel like you have to serve God or God won't love you, you have to help, you have to sign up to, at church to help, you have to help the poor. If you don't do this, God won't love you. Oh my goodness, serving God is just such a burden. But somehow when you know, when you know that God loves you, God accepts you, God delights in you regardless of anything you do for him or don't do for him, somehow it just makes serving God's kingdom a joy. It's it's like the difference between, um, all right, you're a landscaper and your boss says to you, get out there and cut the grass, mow the lawn. It's the difference between that and being a little boy whose whose dad says, you know, Junior, I'm gonna go cut the lawn. You wanna help me? It's gonna be fun. It's just, it's just, it's such a difference. It's a difference between a the a burden of a work to earn a wage and the joy of serving to serving someone who loves you. All right, and and listen, this is the way God wants service, service in his kingdom to be for you. Our, we have a savior who has deep, deep compassion for everyone in the world, including you. And he wants you to know the joy of working alongside him, participating with him in taking that love to others. He wants you to know that joy. And so I I wanna pray for you, pray with you right now that God will give this to you. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for Jesus. What a a loving savior we have. Thank you that when, when he looks at us, he sees where we're broken. He sees our potential of what you can do in us, and he has such compassion for us. And I thank you that he sees the whole world that way, and he wants us to respond with with prayer and with service. He wants us to know the joy of working with him, of bringing the freedom and the power of your kingdom to the world. And so, God, I pray that joy for each person who's listening to me right now. For, for those who perhaps they've never turned to Christ in faith, that today they would realize how much he loves them and what he's offering them, and they would come to him. And for those of us who know him, I pray that we would hear this call, that, that the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We are praying, God, that, you will, that your church will arise, that we will hear this call, that we will be among those who are serving you in your, in your harvest field. And we pray that as we do this, 
we will know your joy. In Christ's name, amen.